future trends, deep insights, industry leaders. This is the iGaming Next podcast with your host, Pierre Lint. This podcast is brought to you by Pragmatic Solutions, the leading iGaming PAM platform with a modular approach, including many benefits like a fast, secure, and scalable API-based platform integrated with all major third-party products and services. Make sure you head over to Pragmatic Solutions and join our smart thinking. This podcast is brought to you by Pragmatic Play, an industry-leading content provider of slots, live casino, bingo, and virtual sports. Pragmatic Play excels at creating an immersive, engaging, and mobile-focused experience for players with over 200 HTML5 games that are available in all currencies, 31 languages, and all major certified markets. Discover more at pragmaticplay.com. And uh, Sanjay, I have a very first important question for you. Who is the GOAT? <laughs> You're starting off really controversial. Uh, it's, uh, it's GSP for sure, George St. Pierre. Just this, you see, this was a trick question here in the beginning of the Sunday, in the beginning of the podcast here, Sunday, because there's only one right answer to this question, and that is, of course, the last emperor, Fyodor <laughs> Emelianenko. How can you not? Yeah, follow this. Of course, we're all biased, right? Like us being Canadian, <laughs> it's like <laughs> yeah. GSP. But uh, yeah, this this conversation, uh, I've spent so many hours. Uh, discussing this over food with friends and it's a never-ending conversation <laughs> but i love it i love it nonetheless <laughs> yes, yes, yes. that's a that's when i started to kind of get into the mma scene back in the back in the prior days and it was kind of when fedor was this mythical fighter he was uh, this heavyweight uh, fighter from russia who was much smaller than all the other heavyweights and he went uh, like 30 you know at that time or he had like one loss but the loss was not really a loss um, and uh, he was seen as this, like, you know, he's not human at that time. Because in the in the UFC these days, in the heavyweight division, there's only ever like two fighters in the heavyweight division who have uh, who have defended the belt more than twice or something like that. Whereas like Fedor defended it like you know like ten times or something. So, so uh, yeah, I'll, that that is my case at least for for Fedor. So I'll stand my ground on that. But but yeah, GSP <laughs> is a good option as well. No, I totally, uh, I totally see where you're coming from. Like uh, those, like back in the Pride days, those were like 2004, 2006 yes. days. Uh, I was, I was really young at the time, and so uh, I, <laughs> I'm so sad that I missed them. But every time yes. somebody, because uh, like, of course, you can never capture the zeitgeist of that time fully yeah. w- once you're like into the future. And so uh, that's something that I actually like. I'm sad that I missed, but it seems like. Uh, there are so many legendary moments on, uh, you know, Rumble the Rock and Pride that I'm just like, oh, I wish I didn't miss those. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they, uh, I mean, Pride was funny because it's obviously it was a Japanese MMA, MMA organization, and uh, they had all these like funny things going on. Like, yeah, they, they had like the announcer, the screaming lady. I don't know yeah. if you ever like her. She was legendary. This uh, woman who announced the fighters, and uh, she was screaming the the fighters' name in like a really like manic way. And and you were like, oh my god, what's happening here? But she was fantastic. You know, the, that's a very like Japanese kind of tra- culture. They made it into a spectacle back then. You know, I love it, they, and they still do. It seems. Uh, I mean, it's a reason I love Japanese culture in general. It's they put a hundred percent effort in everything. 
Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. And they, 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 from from a different perspective, for sure. So, 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 yeah. So, as as, a, as an introduction here, as the listeners can uh, can hear already, like if 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 you're not a fight fan or MMA fan, this podcast is probably not for you today. Or if you want to learn about MMA and kind of understand uh, why it's. Uh, in my opinion, and I'm sure Sanders' opinion, the the best sport in the world, then this definitely is the podcast today. Because Sunday obviously is the um, the CEO and CTO, and I believe the co-founder of uh, Verdict MMA. Uh, sure. And uh, Sunday, I'd like to uh, just kind of start here off by introducing yourself and the project a bit, because this is very interesting what you have built here over the last couple of years. Yeah. Uh, and it's been a long journey. It's been uh, longer than the last few years. It actually started back in 2013 with two of my high school friends, and uh, it was Mandeep and David. And uh, we actually saw a fight together, and it was with GSP, and it was GSP versus Johnny Hendricks. And in yeah. that fight, yes. yeah, we, we saw that uh, GSP actually, at the end, uh, we sort of thought that he lost. And we were yeah. kind of sad about that. But when the decision came, he actually ended up winning. And so we were curious what the entire world thought. And so I was in software at the time. Mandeep was really into social media and into the fight game. And David was also into software. And so what we decided to do was create an app where we could crowdsource scoring data and figure out what people actually thought. And for me, this was actually just kind of like a, a side project where I could learn a ton about software and apply it to something that I love. Because there's no better way of learning than kind of creating something that you want to create for yourself, right? And so, uh, yeah, we, yeah, we, you know, to your point, you probably saw the hard launch, which was in 2018 uh, of November. And that's where we yes. actually brought, yeah, round scoring and uh, fight predictions to, to users all over the world. And uh, we rapidly grew without uh, a marketing budget at all, just through social media. And uh, yeah, from there, we kind of, uh, we kind of saw the opportunity in, in DFS and gaming. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome, man. And uh, so, so I've been checking out the site now. So it's basically, uh, you, you know, kind of like fight predictions. So now you're going into DFS. You just raised capital as well from uh, a couple of friends of ours uh, as well. We're going to go in um, to that a little bit uh, later as well. But I, I suppose, like, uh, a question for you on the on the MMA side of things. Like, where did you? When did this uh, interest in MMA come about for you? I know that you have background in. Um, in uh, martial arts as well, your taekwondo ace and stuff like that. Like, what's the yeah. background that led you into? It's an interesting story. Interest. Like when I was uh, when I was a kid, uh, I was like six or something, and I was being a brat. I remember, and uh, my dad uh, just took me somewhere. He, it's like one of those stories where he's like, he told me, you know, we're gonna go to the dentist or something. But we ended up <laughs> at a <laughs> yeah, at a taekwondo dojo. At a dojo. Yeah, yeah, and. Uh, yeah, he signed me up, and uh, it's a different type of dentist. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's a pretty mean. It can be a pretty bad dentist. Uh, it's, it's, yeah. yeah, like uh, so. Here we actually did uh, ITF Taekwondo. So uh, it was me and my cousin at the time, and uh, we did ITF Taekwondo. So it's really physical with the sparring. It's it's not like uh, okay. just just kicks. It's kicks and punches. And all uh, right, yes. Yeah, and so I was in Taekwondo for many years. For about uh, ten years, I eventually got my second degree black belt. And then uh, I, you know, went off to university, came back, and uh, and you know, I I kept up with uh, a few of the fights. In the meantime, one fighter that really stuck out to me was Anderson Silva. Like when I watched him fight, yes. uh, 
it was like some sort of mirror neurons fight, firing off in my head because I could really see, uh, really feel his stance and him throwing the kicks. And I immediately knew that guy's doing Taekwondo. And, and that's what kind of got me hooked into MMA. It was kind of that, uh, that really cool, um, kind of what you experienced during the Pride days, which was like really seeing the different martial yes. arts battle each other. And that was like a really compelling part of the story where people would be like, how's that wrestler going to do against the boxing? And, <laughs> and, and people would kind of do the whole like Pokemon scenarios of it's like, no, you know, wrestling beats yeah. like uh, striking, you know? And, uh, and sort of that vibe kind of got me into it. And then seeing GSP come in after that, uh, you know, that sort of solidified it. And then creating Verdict, it kind of just tied it all together yeah. and got me even more into it, uh, just being associated with the community and everything. Uh, yeah, and perfect. I guess that's, that's a really long story, but that's basically what got me really into it. Yeah, I, I love it. So, so can you still do a split, uh, uh, Sanjay? <laughs> no, so I've never been able to do a split, but I've been uh. able to do a really like mean uh, spinning back kick. Uh, so oh, yeah, yeah uh, but I have had an injury since, so I don't really, uh, I don't really uh, practice that too much anymore, but uh, I do yeah. enjoy uh, just watching. Yeah, no, 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 for sure. Because Anderson Silva, when he came into the UFC, he fought uh, Chris Lieben was the first fight he did, uh, I think, in the, in the UFC. And that was also like that time where, you know, he was seen as uh, almost this like unbeatable fighter. And at, at, at some point, Anderson Silva was like an absolute monster. And he still is. Like, that's the craziest thing. That he is like 47 years old or something. 46, 47. <laughs> yeah. And now he's just, now he goes into boxing and like, and right. he just, uh, I mean, he just destroys the, like, the, like a really high level boxer. It's like right up here. And he's like 47 years old. Like, that yeah. guy is like one of a kind. He's phenomenal. Like, uh, watching him fight has been some of the highest moments in my life. I don't know if you remember uh, the buildup of him versus Vitor Belfort. And yes. uh, the buildup was extraordinary and like nobody knew what was going to happen. And in hindsight, everyone, you know, says they knew, but during the yeah. time that fight was just something people couldn't wait to see because nobody yeah. knew what was going to happen. And then what yeah. happened was, yeah. uh, it, it was a front kick, you know, it was a front kick, just a simple front yeah. kick to the face. And when I saw that, I was like, Oh, that's a front kick. Cause you yeah. never <laughs> see, you never see like a, something as simple as like a front kick, take somebody out like that and uh that's what anderson yeah. did and that's why uh yeah he's yeah. also on my route uh, mount rushmore of fighters yeah exactly and and uh it was after that fight that uh, uh that uh, Peter became trt trt <laughs> trt yes yeah. He, yeah. he went full on uh, trt after that and just became like an absolute unit after that uh, for for a little while when there was there was this strange time in the ufc where they allowed the uh, testosterone uh, treatment basically so some fighters just absolutely like pumped themselves with te testosterone uh, and uh, grew to become like superhumans for a while before they made it illegal again. It was a weird time. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it would have been fun to see uh, uh, Vitor Belfort uh, against Anderson Silva uh, after he uh, <laughs> became juiced to the guilt. Like, I wonder if the fight would have been different. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like, it's it's always strange uh, with drugs. Uh, you know, they didn't test before, but it's good that they did start yeah. testing because uh, you know people get. You know, hurt that way because it's just yeah. everyone's on an uneven ground but what's exciting is when people are on kind of that even ground and and training and uh yes. yeah kind of seeing the result from there yeah and that, that was like after they started to do the usada testing like really serious testing on the fighters that's when you saw a lot of 
fighters fading. So uh, you, you mentioned like uh, GSP versus Hendrix. That was like a great example of that because um, after uh, after that fight uh, and uh, and after they started testing uh, Johnny Hendrix, uh, he was one of those fighters who just faded out in uh, yeah in uh, to to nothingness uh, after a while. And that, that was like kind of one of the speculations with Johnny Hendrix specifically that like yeah the USADA was. Uh, what ended his career at that time so yeah so you never never really know with uh with with i mean we're never going to be able to know from the past like what has happened but uh yeah you're right that his trajectory was everyone's expecting great things to happen but it didn't come out to happen yeah yeah yeah. oh for sure and and so so sanjay i mean in verdict mma like we mentioned you, you just uh went through this process of raising capital and uh you mentioned that uh yeah, one fighter who is really on the map right now, Ben Askren, is uh, one of the uh, kind of strategic uh, investors to Verdict MMA. Like, how did that partnership come about? Yeah, this is a uh, yeah, it's it's a pretty cool story. Uh, so Ben Askren is a really really smart guy on social media. If you follow him, he's very yes. active on social media. He uh, <laughs> he has a really good presence. He built a name for himself, yeah. right? And so what we did was uh, Mandy actually reached out to him. Mandy also has a really strong social media presence and social media game. He'll just DM everybody. And so uh, DMing Ben Askren was a really good move. And uh, yeah. after that, we kind of recognized that Ben Askren has some great value to add over here. When we went into fundraising, we were really looking for people who could contribute value back to us and not just for money. And so we really wanted that two-way bridge to work. And we only wanted to work with people like that. And so Ben Askren checked all those boxes. He was somebody who was really in tune with the fighting community. He had really great uh, network connections inside of uh, mixed martial arts in general. And uh, working with him has been a pleasure, just a blast uh, talking to him and getting feedback from him. It's surprising. He's not a conventional investor, but just his wisdom talking to him has been very helpful. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so, uh, so his role in the company now is like a strategic uh, advisor type of thing. Yeah, like uh, we'll we actually met up with him in Las Vegas and talked to him for a bit and talked about nice. many different angles that we could go down. And it's always interesting hearing people's perspectives and uh, yeah. hearing his perspective on on crypto and how that could work with Verdict. <laughs> like it's just it's just cool hearing about all these combinations. Uh, from yeah, yeah, yeah. From, <laughs> Do you think he'll? Do you think he'll fight again? I don't. I I hope not. Like uh, he's a yeah. guy who who's had uh, two hip surgeries and uh, coming oh, back yeah. from from that. Uh, I I, some, I actually think fighters retire a bit too late in their career. I think Khabib did an excellent yeah. move of making a yeah. name for himself, getting out and then pursuing other avenues like coaching. And yes. uh, it's always sad to see a fighter kind of uh, be in the game for too long. Somebody like Anderson yeah. Silva, for example, uh, you know, you could argue, I know he, he won his last boxing event, but seeing yeah. somebody like that and just continuing to fight, you're, you're kind of, uh, you're kind of like, uh, you kind of feel like they're like a father figure and you're kind of like, you know, they're a bit too yeah. old to, to fight at that point. So you kind of feel bad. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know it's like, uh, you know, uh, the, um, it's a weird psychological thing to be a fighter. And uh, I think people who haven't gone through that process don't understand this, the, the psychological kind of 
uh, I mean, the extreme psychological nature of going through a fight. So, for example, you know, many fighters become depressed after a fight, like even if they win, um, because uh, it's kind of like the journey that is the reward towards the fight. So um, even though a fight camp is really, really, really tough and really, really difficult, um, but towards the end of the fight camp, you feel like a machine, you know, you feel almost unbeatable and like you feel you go through something very difficult, you're going to war and you're building towards this big thing, all the people around you support you and then and then you win, let's say, and then you're happy for a moment, but but then there's emptiness because all of a sudden this big goal has been reached and um, you don't have a big reason to um, to stay as uh, kind of motivated and, and uh, to train or to do things uh, in, your, in your daily life. And so a lot of fighters, they become addicted to the fighting. So after a fight, they want to fight right away again because they, they, uh, they want to have that big goal ahead of them, essentially. And there's this, for example, um, uh, Tyson Fury is a good example of, uh, of this because he always dreamed to be the heavyweight uh, champion boxer since he was uh, a kid, you know, and, and his uh, dream was to beat uh, Vladimir Klitschko. And uh, so his whole life, his whole purpose in life was built around this big goal of becoming the heavyweight champion. And once he managed to accomplish this, once he won against uh, Klitschko, uh, he fell into a deep depression, right? And he gained a lot of weight. Uh, he became a drug addict. Uh, he almost killed himself. And, you know, at some point there, he, he realized that, uh, that it was time to get back on the horse, uh, let's say. But this is quite common for fighters to get into this uh, uh, addictive uh, nature of just uh, seeking that big thrill uh that uh that, that you get when you go through these fight camps and so a lot of fighters when you get when you're into that uh mode it's just very difficult to stop you know because what do you do like if if your whole career has been fighting what do you do after the after the life of fighting it's really difficult you know for someone to because it's like it's intertwined with their identity like everyone knows them as the big fighter and then all of a sudden you you take that away from someone it's very scary for uh, a lot of fighters. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, so, a, so that's a really that's why you know that's a great point. I think uh, it's it's hard to empathize with fighters, right? It's it's not something you do part time. It's not something you do casually, uh, yeah. and so uh, being wholeheartedly in the fight game, yeah. Once that does get removed from your identity, I can see how that can be problematic. Um, I I can't speak yeah. from experience, but I feel like you can. Did did you feel like that <laughs> once? Uh, because you fought in yeah. K1, did you feel like after that fight, uh, you you kind of wanted to fight again, or you kind of felt like yeah, you know, a, a particular way? Yeah, no, for, for me it was definitely uh, like that, and and um, for for me the biggest thing was that, uh, I mean, when you uh, like when you're not training for a fight, it's um, it's impossible to keep that level of training. So you know, we would train ten times a week, and it was morning, evening. Uh, we train 11 times a, a week. It was morning, evening, and every training session is uh, like the hardest training session you would ever do. You know, but it's like twice a day, and it's like uninterrupted. Um, and uh, without uh, without having a fight in front of you, because it's like you know you're nervous and it's anxiety riddled, and you're like, oh my god, what if, what if I fuck up? Yeah. And you don't want to like be an embarrassment in front of all the people and all the friends that support you. So 
you, you know, it's really difficult to not train at your 120%. And so when the fight is over, uh, and, uh, you know, it took maybe a, like a week and a half, and I went back to the gym, and I had some like lazy training session or whatever. And I, I just felt like every time I went back to the gym, I was a little bit worse than last time. So rather than becoming better, like I would go to the gym and I would become worse, you know? And, and so, so then your, your mind goes like, okay, I, like if I take another fight now, uh, I can, I can get back to that level again, because you, you feel really proud of yourself when you're that, in that good shape and, and all those things. Um, and so, uh, that was like a bit scary to me because, uh, I have friends who have, have fought for a long time and, and like, I've heard all the stories and all the things. So, so I was like. I got scared that I was feeling that I, I, I can understand why people get addicted to the fight game. And, and also, like, I mean, you get, you know, you, you know how it is as well in Taekwondo. You, you train a long time. You, there's injuries and those injuries accumulate and they get worse and worse. And you can only hide them for so long, you know, yeah. um, uh, until they become uh, chronic, so to say. So all these things just kind of scared me uh, in, in a way. So I, I, I felt, okay, better to just accept to be like a casual, uh, like training and kind of keep it on a good level and just feel good about that. Um, but yeah, man, it's, it's a lot of, uh, I mean, it's really psychologically very difficult to be a fighter. Definitely. Yeah. man. It's I can only imagine <laughs> you would look like you're in amazing shape and your performance was top notch, yeah. uh, against Antoine. Was that your last fight? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That, that, was that, that, that was the one I, I used to compete a lot in, in submission wrestling, um, before that as well. Um, and that's more easy because submission wrestling, um, which is like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu without the gi, essentially, um, that's much easier to compete in without being in like top, top, top shape, you know, because yeah. you're not going to get like knocked out. In, so it's easier to just go from competition to competition. <laughs> um, so I think so I think if, if anything, if I continue to compete, it would be in submission wrestling. Uh, so so that, that would be it. Are you keeping up to the, what you mentioned, the Taekwondo training? Did you just compete as well then? I didn't get uh, to compete, not even close yeah, to yeah. semi-professionally like you did, which because right. uh, you had somebody commentating your match and <laughs> an entire crowd, which it looked epic, by the way. Uh, but I didn't get anything uh, close to that. All right. Uh, but uh, yeah, um, right. maybe another life. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. No, for sure, for sure. So, so, so Sanjay, like... Um, you know, back to uh, to Verdict MMA for a moment here, at least. Uh, uh, the, the reason we got in, in contact with each other is because uh, we have some really good friends uh, that uh, we got acquainted with over the last year or so. Uh, Benny Cherniat, Chris Grove, and Lloyd Danzig. Um, they were three three guys who really helped us build our Agamemnon New York event, which we we had uh, a couple of months ago. And and three of the um, kind of most well known figures in the Agamemnon online sports betting industry. Uh, over in the um, United States, and um, they reached out to me and they mentioned, uh, you know, we're investing in this really great product. Uh, you should do a podcast with Sanjay, and you know, we got introduced to each other. But can you talk a little bit about like how uh, the process was uh, when you went out to seek funding, especially now? I mean, the, the market is very difficult at the moment. Uh, how did you get in contact with um, uh, with uh, with Brandy, Chris, and Lloyd, and how was the process to, to kind of raise funding for you? Yeah, the process was, uh, it was pretty, it was a lot of learning. It was our first time raising money ever. We've never done this before. And uh, Mandy was shooting all of our updates to all these investors all the time. And we had an entire list of venture capitalists, inventor, uh, 
angel investors, uh, people who were just trying to get new into the game as advisors. It was a whole mixed bag, but it was a huge learning experience for us. We kind of learned like the pros and cons of going with different folks. And uh, there were a lot of no's. And it was really because people tend to focus on uh, specific areas of expertise. And really, we were raising until we kind of found a group that matched with us that kind of understood the language that we spoke. So it started off with Ben Askren and Ben Askren, the day that we talked to him a week later, not even a week later, like five days later, we had the money wired to us. And then oh, we well. kind of, right. And so it's really about finding the right people and yeah. then connecting with them because they'll understand what you're proposing a lot better than somebody who's doing something completely different. And so when we came in contact with Chris Grove, we spoke to him, we kind of broke down our business model. Uh, we broke down our business plan we showed him our projections and because he's an insider and he understands how these things work, he's able to make sense of those projections and he's able to see that there's an opportunity here. And so once we kind of uh, spoke to him, Benji, it was sort of a wrap. We didn't know uh, that there was sort of like a Las Vegas mafia almost of, of high gaming. And so these guys, uh, these guys are uh, phenomenal. And uh, along with Lloyd, they've been great mentors to us. Anytime we have some sort of question, they're the first people we, we reach out to. And uh, even the problems that we reach out with, it seems like they've encountered a few of them before in the past. And so uh, working with them has just been, uh, been great. And I think finding the right group, that's really the key over here. If you kind of go and you, you're trying to raise funds and you're coming across people who don't understand what you're proposing, it's possible that yeah. you're just, you know, kind of uh, doing a shotgun approach and approaching too many people in too many different fields. And once you do find the right people, though, they'll kind of resonate with you and uh, be able to find other people who are also a part of that network, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, right. Because it's kind of like a, a marriage in business, almost like when you when your investors are on board, you know, it is difficult to separate them from the company, right? I mean, that, yeah. and, and so that that's something you think a lot about as well when you're talking to investors is the, the dynamics work and you can trust them and they can trust you and stuff like that. Right, exactly. It's, uh, it's about how we can help them, but also how they can help us more importantly. And I think sometimes that's not stressed enough. When you're looking for investment partners, you don't want them to be dead weight, so to speak. You want them to be, you want there to be a lot of synergy there. And everybody across the board that we've partnered with, we feel like there's a lot of synergy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's 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 important for sure. And and uh, I think it was Chris Grove who told me once that uh, raising capital can either be the uh, the best process that you go through, or it can be the most frustrating process in the world to go through as well. Because uh, a lot of investors is a tedious process. They are interested, and then in the very, very last moment, they want to like start negotiating the evaluation or something like this, and it just all falls apart, and you have to start over. And and um, uh, you know, it's it's, it's nerve wracking because at some point, when you raise uh, capital, at some point, you need that capital uh, injection to the company, you know. And but for you guys, it seems like it was uh, quite smooth. Uh, process. Yeah, it actually was uh, like, you know, in terms of the things you're talking about, like deals falling through, people renegotiating the valuation. Luckily, we raised yeah. in uh, 2021, the beginning of 2021. And uh, there's many variables that go into this. It's, you know, it's also the economic forecast, how things are, are currently going. Um, and it's a combination of all these things. But uh, we, 
we were raising at the beginning of 2021 where, um, you know, being an investor was, uh, you were kind of looking for investments very aggressively in 2021. Yeah. And so we kind of had that pro with us, but we also had yeah. a lot of traction from the past. And a lot of people try to raise from a point of having no traction or no product. And I think that yeah. would be very difficult. But for us, we had a product, we had a ton of monthly active users, and uh, it was about converting those users onto this uh, new game that we were creating. So yeah. it kind of all came together pretty well. But I, I'm surprised just like you, I'm surprised that there isn't a, a more easier process but instead, it's like getting individual people to sign these agreements at a certain yeah. valuation. And uh, yeah, that can be kind of tedious. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. And, and, and like, um, so so when when did you do the, the last race that you did was in 2021, you mentioned, right? That's right. That's yeah. the only race we did. It was in June of 2021. Right. Oh, okay, cool, cool, cool. And, and so like, what's the, what's the plan now for, uh, for Verdict MMA? You, you mentioned like the DFS uh, platform. What's uh, what's to come? Like, what do you have ahead of ahead of yourself, and how do you see the product developing? Yeah, so we've always had a giant roadmap of things that we wanted to do, and uh, we've never had the time to do it, which is a common yeah. problem everywhere. <laughs> and so, what we did was we hired a few folks in the product and engineering and design space, and we started uh, working on verdict tournaments, which we actually released last Friday. And it's like Friday before last. And our first event was yeah. UFC 275, which was right, last right. Saturday. And yes. uh, things went really well. We're so happy that uh, we wrote tests and things went really smoothly. And uh, it's really going to allow us to get feedback now that we have that out there. There was like a point in time where we were just teasing folks on what we're actually releasing. And people would guess just across the board what we're, what we're creating. And because we're partners with Ben Askren, People would keep guessing crypto, and uh, <laughs> and so coming out with DFS was a complete curveball. And so, uh, yeah, having that out there now, that's sort of fuel that we see that we're going to be using to create all these products that we want to create for the MMA space. There's so many tiny things missing from here and there that we want to go back and create things that we want to we want to see in the space, as well as double downing on a DFS niche product for MMA. There's no experience really like that. Like right now, you have these operators that kind of uh, operate across the board. They they have a game and they apply it to all the sports because then your your total addressable market's much bigger. Yeah. But for us, it's just about the niche. It's just about the community. It's just about yeah. creating a game that's very specific for MMA. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Uh, it's interesting to hear. And and by the way, speaking of the UFC two seventy five, how good was uh, Glover Teixeira versus Jiri the Samurai. Oh, it was phenomenal. Like, uh, we were all, <laughs> um, like, we actually, we were, were huge Jiri fans. Like, we, we love the guy. And uh, we love the ethos that he gives off. And, uh, you know, to see Glover do so well against him. Yeah. And then, you know, Yuri come on top at the end there with the submission. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, we thought everyone, you know, it's the fifth round. Everyone's kind of, like, tuning out a bit. And then that happens. You know, we're all like, great, the, the, the age of Yuri can actually happen. Like, we were just very yeah. excited for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, that was, that's one of the best fights ever. Yeah. I mean, they, uh, they, that was crazy. The, I mean, like, talk about old man strength uh, with Glover uh, Teixeira. He's 42 years old. You know, um, like, I, I, I'm a big fan of Alexander Gustafsson. Yeah. Is, um, 
we we used to train uh, at the same gym. Like we we never trained together. He, he much much much. I mean, his curve was obviously incredibly higher than mine. But uh, but um, uh, at that time, we we used to uh, as a, as a team, we used to go and support uh, Alex at his fights before the UFC. And so when he joined the UFC, you know, it was a big thing uh, for us. And obviously, he fought uh, Glover Teixeira. That was that must have been like six years ago, something like that. And um, uh, you know, Alex won by t- by by knockout and that, and and it felt it felt like uh, you know Glover Teixeira was on the way out. You know, he was getting older and uh, and so on. And then he comes back to take the light heavyweight championship, and then he pushed that performance uh, against Gier. And and uh, you know, it's like it's like the best fight ever. But it was so sad that uh, Glover lost. Honestly, like I, it it took the air out a little bit. Uh, but it, it was it's incredible fight. I mean. It's just, and he always. It was that pivotal moment in the in the fifth round where Glover uh, does this like massive uh, uh, right hand, almost knocks Jira uh, out, and then he goes for uh, for the choke. Uh, basically, goes for a guillotine. Obviously, he's weak. The arms are weak, and it's very slippery. He slips out of the guillotine, and had he not done that, he would have won the fight. You know, it's like it's 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 sad, yeah. But that's that's how it is. Right? That's the best sport in the world. You know, anything can happen. That's what's so wild about it. It's like a single moment like that can define history yeah. and the trajectory of yeah. two individuals. And yeah. Uh, yeah, that having that rear naked choke could have been uh, kind of like it could have been, you know, it could have tainted Yuri's sort of uh, self-confidence. You never know yeah. how his trajectory would have done after that fight. But certainly, uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy for that outcome, but I know you're probably a Glover fan, right? Is that, that's why you're yeah, yeah, exactly. for that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I just, I, you know, you do, you just cheer for the underdog, you know what I mean? And, and in this case, uh, you know, no one thought that uh, Glover would actually be able to win, and let alone in the fashion that it was about to take place, you know? So, yeah, yeah it's like, it's, it's, it's funny, you know, like, like a little mistake like that will, like, change the course of a career in a fighter, more or less, you know, because he's our... Yeah. You know, he, he'll remember that, you know, it's, it's sad. Maybe, maybe there's a rematch and maybe he'll, he'll take it again. Uh, so I, actually, I, I have a feeling though, if there's a, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Sandy. I was just going to say, if you actually take a look, uh, we actually have a, a global, yeah. this global scorecard on verdict. And if you look at yes. global scorecard, Glover was winning three out of four of the rounds previously before yeah. going into the fifth round. So it, oh, yeah? it almost certainly would have been a win for Glover yeah. had he held on for, you know, the additional uh, amount of time. Like it would have been. Yeah, yeah, he was so close. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, what was the uh, what was like the fight prediction before the fight for Glover to share and Jerry? Can you see that as well? Or yeah, yeah. that so would be interesting the, to see. He's the most common pick here, and it was actually Yuri by knockout. Like, I remember people didn't really yeah. think it'd go past the first or second. Uh, you know, yeah. considering uh, you know all the training that Yuri does, uh, but people were also saying Glover by submission would be a huge, yeah, a huge thing and, and a huge possibility. But what yeah. actually ended up happening was Yuri by submission, which nobody yeah, saw yeah, coming, yeah. and uh, except uh, one fan on Verdict actually saw it coming, and he bet all of his uh, points on that. Uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it was it was it was phenomenal. Nobody saw it coming, uh, but uh, that's what yeah, makes those yeah, moments exactly. so amazing. It's like people thought that uh, Glover was going to get the submission, but it actually ended up happening the other way around. Which yeah, you know that's why the sport's so amazing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was. Uh, I, I saw someone posted on Reddit uh, that they they bet like a dollar or something on Jiri uh, by submission in fifth round. Like this is like stupid bet, you know. And they, I think they got something like three hundred fifty times the money back or something. Like oh, yeah. it's like 
yeah. Well, but that's when you should bet, you know, a little bit more than one dollar. But uh, lesson learned, I suppose. Uh, so, 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 Sanjay, like, uh, I, I, um, I, I, I joined your Discord uh, here, uh, and I saw it. Like, I mean, you, you guys have like it's like five thousand members or something on your Discord. Yeah, obviously, like, yeah, and and obviously, like uh, the. Uh, the community aspect of Reddit MMA seems to be uh, an integral part of your business model. Like, um, can you talk about like how how do you build a community like that that is kind of like self-sustaining and uh, how important is it to to kind of nurture and build that community around your product? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. I I, I think it's hard to make it self-sustaining. Making it self-sustaining is kind of tough because you'll always have like yeah. bad actors. In the community, uh, so yeah, need, that's true. Yes, yeah, you need somebody enforcing the rules, but uh, yeah, building this community, Manu's done a great job building it. Um, you know, on Instagram we have eighty-four thousand uh, community members, and on Discord we have eight thousand uh, members. And during fight nights, for folks who are kind of alone or on the road, jumping into that Discord, I, I've done it myself sometimes when I have to watch the fights myself. It just gives you perspective on what people are thinking for particular things like, you know, what are people thinking about that walk-in? Um, what are they thinking about, uh, you know, what the, what the corner's doing or something that happens silly in the background? Uh, it's always interesting uh, to see. But I think uh, the benefit of growing that community is you get that, it kind of proves you're a product market fit. It proves that you're in like a category where uh, people are kind of wanting something, but you have to figure out what that something is. So uh, you can figure that out by getting feedback from that community, which is pretty sweet. Uh, but yeah, going back to your to your question, uh, you really need like uh, what we found was the scorecards really drove people um, in because there was a lot of controversy around the scorecards, and uh, and why there was controversy. It's because it's unfair for some fighters to win sometimes because yeah. uh, judges are judging a particular way, and so it's really a uh, if you break that situation down, it's really about transparency and providing transparency to some group of people and then uh, reinforcing fairness in some sort of way. And uh, yeah, for us, the solution really isn't doing scoring with the masses. It's kind of, it would be getting more judges into the mix, uh, maybe getting like one judge that's represented by everybody, which would be really cool. Uh, but yeah, I think it's a, it's a few things combined. Again, it's, it's about that transparency. It's about companionship. And uh, and with that, you kind of have a recipe for a community. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. And and I mean, like uh, you mentioned, uh, it's a it's a very niche uh, DFS product. You're you're focusing on one particular sport, as I say. Um, is the is the is there enough liquidity to, to sustain a business model like that? Like, yeah, we think so. Uh, so when we did calculations uh, back in 2019. Uh, we saw that there's actually a hundred million dollar opportunity in this space with just DFS in mm -hmm. MMA. And we did that based off of people who already, uh, already gamble, already play DFS and uh, okay. the amount of viewership in the UFC. And so we saw a huge opportunity and that was back in 2019. That was like pre pandemic times. Yeah. And so yeah. over the pandemic, uh, you'll remember yeah, that it, the UFC was one of the only, yeah, it's accelerated, yeah. right? Accelerated immensely. And uh, at the same time, you have these other forces from gaming and fantasy sports that have been growing as well, uh, legislation specifically yeah. in, uh, in North America. 
which has been uh, just a boon. And so with those two kind of joined together, that kind of answers the question of like, why is now the right time? It's because those forces are really you know combining. Yeah, right, right. And I mean, as you mentioned here, Sandra, like uh, the UFC specifically really got a massive boost during the pandemic because they were the first kind of uh, sport that resumed uh, after the pandemic. They were very aggressive in kind of finding solutions for how to continue to operate without an audience. And uh, and um, they built the, the Fighter Island during the, uh, mm-hmm. during the pandemic. And, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot, like UFC really was uh, front and center at that time. And, uh, you know, going back, but but not only during the pandemic, because in the last you know ten or fifteen years, it's gradually the UFC has been uh, kind of um, establishing itself uh, amongst the mainstream uh, almost. Like, but w- what do you think um, as you look forward uh, now in the next couple of years? Like, what will the trajectory be of the sport in general? Do you think? Do you think it will be like more and more adopted by the mainstream, or has it kind of reached where it should be right now? I think it's going to be adopted way more, and it's because. Uh, Really, it's a young sport. It's it's only thirty years old, um, and even then, it's only been super mainstream for the last few decades, like two, twenty years. Yeah. And so, seeing our core demographic be this certain age of eighteen to thirty-five, as time goes on over the next ten years, that's going to shift. And as that shifts, there's going to be the newcomers that come in as well, right? And so, you have a lot of older people who are into other sports like you know baseball or boxing and you're kind of seeing those sports kind of decline and you're seeing mma hmm. uh, become much bigger and you see all these other promotions also in the space that are growing and getting much higher valuations you have the pfl that has a 500 million dollar valuation earlier this year in may wow yeah <laughs> um, and and they raised money then and then you also have uh one championship which is yes, yeah. conventionally huge. in asia yeah huge the, yeah. their prime deal I, I think it's massive. Uh, yeah, super massive. Like for me, uh, <laughs> I always I always say like imagine I try to imagine a universe with the UFC kind of being much easier to access rather than eighty dollars. Yeah. Uh, obviously, right. making that change is kind of tough for them because it might be the right move, but it might be the wrong move at the same time. But seeing somebody experiment with that and a big organ- organization like one doing that and coming to prime time, yeah, as well. It's going to grow. I think it's going to grow. I think it's uh, it's a good sign for yeah. everybody in the space. And it, it's cool as well, I think, with uh, one who, you know, kind of filled a void in Asia uh, after Pride, you know, was bought by the UFC and then eventually it was uh, scrapped. But uh, for, for the longest time in Asia, uh, you know, they are they obviously have a lot of legacy when it comes to their interest in martial arts in general. But there wasn't really... A massive organization that could contend with the uh, with the size of the UFC, but it it feels like uh, one is uh, turning into that kind of competitor. And I love what they are doing with like the mixed fights. Oh, How yeah, awesome is that? Like, yeah, yeah, like, it's like so DJ, cool. DJ fighting and and Rod Tang, like they had the whole uh, oh my minutes, god, two rounds a certain style and two rounds of MMA. Yeah, like, it was it's very interesting to watch because that really uh, stretches fighters like their yeah. IQ and like can you can you support this different fighting style. It is interesting, uh, you know, a lot of purists would, might be turned off by that, but it's kind of interesting to see it when it's two people like Rod Tang and DJ, when like, yeah. you're like, if you find any other style, like one person would have the advantage. So I thought that was really cool. Yeah, dude, I'm all in on that. Like, like do as many fucked up rules as you can. Like, I, I, I love it. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. it's so cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Um, yeah, and and it's cool, you know. They mix it, they mix it up in one. Like uh, there would be like a kickboxing fight, and then next up is an MMA fight, and then you have this like mixed rules fight, and 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 so on. They 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 have just done it really well, and they seem to have captured like the audience in in Asia. And maybe they will turn into a. They still don't have the best fighters in the world on the MMA side of things, but the, the way things are progressing for them, like you mentioned here, uh, with the big primetime deal, you know, give it a couple of years, and maybe. Maybe one will be the uh, the organization that starts taking pole position. Like, yeah, it's interesting to think about. Like, ultimately, I think uh, the UFC does such a good job on many levels that uh, people don't even kind of uh, kind of see. Like, they're doing so many uh, such a good job on on minor details. But you're totally right mm-hmm. that one. You know, they've had a metric recently that they've had more uh, views online uh, per second than any other promotion, and so that's kind of like yeah. a skewed. Stat like yeah. obviously they're, they're pulling like you know a stat that yeah. uh, maybe people don't look at a lot, but it kind of starts from there, right? It kind of starts yeah. from stats like that. Like they just did a really good job on their social media team and and reposting their great content. Um, but it kind of starts like that, and then things kind of slip. Yeah. But we never know. Like five, ten years, we never yeah. know. But I really pride Verdict for being a kind of a decentralized organization and being able to yeah. support different partnerships. And now that we have funding, it's it's more likely to move. Uh, and partner with a lot more uh, different promotions and also yeah. automating that and, and having that in our system automatically. Uh, people have asked for this for a very long time and you know, kind of supporting all the different promotions would be something we'd want to see as well. Yeah, exactly. I mean, have you been in contact with these organizations like One, UFC and so on for, for official partnership? Like, is there anything like, like happening on that front for you guys? Yeah, we have. Like we've, uh, we've reached out to a number of these during the pandemic. Um, of course, a lot of these weren't operating. The PFL came back pretty quick and we had a partnership with them right out of the pandemic. And uh, ever since then, we've been really focusing on the DFS game. Kind of how uh, our roadmap has been working is if it's not yeah. DFS, we didn't really want to focus on it because we wanted to get that to market really fast. And once we get that to market, we can start supporting some of these other uh, kind of initiatives that we wanted to take. So that was kind of our mindset. Let's get DFS out there ASAP, start collecting some metrics, and then start delivering on some of this stuff that uh, users really wanted. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Uh, Sanjay, I have, uh, like, we're going to start rounding off uh, here, here a little bit, uh, uh, but uh, I have a couple of, like, rapid-fire MMA questions for you. Yeah. Are you ready? Yeah. Yeah, all right, yeah. awesome. All right, let's do it. Uh, who's the best fighter who never held a belt? Oh, shit, that's, that's hard. Um <laughs> This is also a trick question, by the way. There's a right answer to this. So. Oh, is it? Uh, is <laughs> yeah. there? Just like the goat. <laughs> is it uh, Artem? I'm going to say Artem. <laughs> Artem Lobov? <laughs> yeah, I, I, there you go. Yes. Okay, yeah. fine. I see myself defeated. That, that is actually the right answer. How can, how, how can I not realize this? Yes, the, yeah. the, uh, the, the legendary, uh, the, the Russian hammer, right? Yeah. Artem Lobov, the right hand man of uh, Connor. Yeah, I love that question though. That that's such a thought-provoking question. The space is so yeah. big, is why. Yeah. Yeah, it's it, so I was gonna say Alexander Gustafsson. So that, that <laughs> was course. gonna be that was gonna yeah. be the right answer. But you actually came up with an even better answer. So <laughs> kudos to you for for that, Sanjay. Uh, what was your favorite fight ever? Oh, uh, I would say uh, Rory McDonald versus Robbie Lawler. Uh, yes, that fight was. Uh, I don't know. That was, it was like art. <laughs> it was, it was yeah. just crazy. Like uh, it, in some of these fights, you kind of see a fighter uh, do really well. And sometimes you don't see it reciprocate, but in that fight, 
they were just reciprocating with each other, like toe to toe. It's yeah. nuts. Yeah. Yeah, that was awesome. And and uh, the crazier thing was like that was the co-main event to yeah. then Conor McGregor. It was Aldo, I think. Uh, yeah, I think so. Like it was uh, actually, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not sure, but that uh, that fight kind of overshadowed it <laughs> for me in a way. Yeah, yeah exactly. That was uh, yeah. It was just... But but it was just so crazy that you had that fight, and then it's like, oh, by the way, now we have uh, Conor McGregor fighting here, and like the biggest fight ever. Right. You know, so that, that card was just in- insane. Yeah. <laughs> really. Uh, uh, what's your, what was your favorite uh, finish ever in oh, in MMA? Yeah. I already said it. It's uh, Anderson Silva the front kick uh, to Vitor. Like that was yeah. by far. It was so clean. Uh, yeah. yeah, I loved it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that was a good finish as well. And, and uh, oh wait, sorry. Can I add a no, runner up? A runner yes. up to that. Uh, I, I, DJ was fighting, and uh, I forgot who it was, but he had an arm bar in the air. That he did the flying armbar. The flying armbar. Yes. I think the expertise displayed in that fight. He, he had. He was looking so forward ahead in time that he knew that he could get an armbar, and he had it like when he was like ninety percent away from the ground. Yeah. It was just. It was just wild. I remember that vividly. He he transitioned from a suplex, so like a like a wrestling yeah. suplex, into yeah. a flying armbar in the air. Like, Crazy. yeah, <laughs> it's like Spider Man. Yeah, yeah, that, that, I agree with that. That's that's probably uh, that's probably it. Or, uh, yeah, yeah, that, that's that's a good alternative too. I, I'll agree with that too. Uh, and finally, uh, if you were the um, the matchmaker of the UFC and you could make one fight, which fight would you make? <laughs> uh, I think it'd be uh, Islam and Oliveira. Uh, I think I would make that, but. Uh, that's because I'm not uh, a matchmaker. Maybe maybe Islam needs a bit more, a few more fights before <laughs> facing yeah. Oliveira. But that's yeah. a fight that I really wanna that I really wanna see. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say like, uh, if you want to think think of it outside of the box, it would be like Engano versus Conor McGregor. <laughs> oh, you meant like between weight classes as well. <laughs> You can choose whatever oh, you like. Oh, okay. This is, this is, you are, you are the man now, Sade. You can oh, do really? whatever you want. That yeah. is, uh, <laughs> that's interesting. You know, I think uh, I'm going to take my answer back. And uh, I, didn't, I didn't think of that. I would do John Jones versus Adesanya. <laughs> oh, that's a, that's a good one. Yes. Yeah, I love. That's a really good one. Yeah, I just think uh, John Jones, I mean, if, if we never saw him fight again, it'd be the saddest thing ever. Like, he's, he's just so young yeah. and talented. Uh, and Adesanya is just, uh, I don't know, I vibe with him. I love, I love his style. I, he's so entertaining. Yeah. Uh, and seeing the yeah. two go head to head would just be, um, it would just be amazing uh, for me. Yeah. That that would that, that would be incredible to see. That, that that would be a good fight to make for sure. Yeah. Uh, there was someone, someone I saw this question on Reddit, and someone said uh, uh, Pat Barry versus uh, Rosie Rose Nama units. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, weird uh, <laughs> awesome and, and uh, I, I guess finally now you know there's the UFC 276 coming up speaking about um, uh, Adesanya he's uh, fighting now in like two weeks time right. like uh, what's the prediction saying so far uh, on uh, Adesanya versus uh, Cannoneer yeah uh, well for me I'm I'm a huge Adesanya stan I already said that <laughs> like I think it's yeah. uh, I think Adesanya is gonna, gonna take it and I hope he takes it I think he's one of those uh, champions uh, that are so charismatic. I think uh, he's just a smart guy yeah. overall. Like he has uh, his own YouTube channel that I that I tune into regularly, and uh, and yeah. and his dad, Dadasania, he's on he's on verdict as well. He's like scoring every single round. 
So oh no way. Yeah, I'm I'm team uh, Adesanya like all the way for yeah. uh, 276. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I I agree with you as well. And and you have another really interesting fight, uh, Volkanovski and Holloway. As well, can oh, Holloway right. take it? Do you think, or is he is he uh, is he past his prime? I think uh, it's not even about Holloway. It's about Volkanovski. Like he's, <laughs> <It's> about to- <laughs> he's just on a different level. Like that that guy is a, is a super saiyan. Like the speed uh, that you kind of see him operate at, people just can't keep up. Like uh, he, when you watch him, uh, it's it's like it's choreographed almost. Like he's so quick, he's so fast. Um, yeah, I don't think it's a Holloway at this point, but I'm very excited to see like what the scorecard card would say. I, I don't think it's yeah. going to be like a first round knockout or anything like that. Like I think it might no. even go the distance. And uh, yeah. at that point, we'd have another controversial scorecard. Yeah, yeah, I have, a, I have, a, I have a feeling that it's going to be a bit of a sad night for Holloway. To be honest, uh, he it feels like Holloway is slowing down a bit. He, he isn't that old, but he's been. He's been in the UFC for a long time. He was like 21 years old when he joined the UFC. It's like, at some point, man, it's yeah, it's difficult to keep that pace, you know, he, unfortunately. He's, he's yeah. one of those fighters I'd like to have seen retire earlier. Yeah. But uh, fighting is kind of interesting in that if you dominated in a certain era, you still wouldn't be able to retire early just because that's the way fighting kind of worked out. Yeah. Whereas now uh, fighters uh, typically make a bit more. And with the right yeah. partnership deals, you can you can actually retire early. You have a lot more opportunities in different yeah. spaces. You can make a YouTube channel. You can start commentating. Um, but it's unfortunate that people who were in the game many many years ago and have been in the game for a while, they didn't really have that opportunity. Oh, uh, exactly. Yeah. Like these old uh, like legends, like the the Chuck Liddell's and uh, right. uh, Tito Ortiz and all these guys. Like they, you know, it's a different time, man. Huh? Like they, they you know they came and they. It's like the hardcore fans know who they are, you know, but outside of that, it's not that many people. I remember, you know, back in the day, I was at the UFC 100 in Vegas, and that was the first time they did the UFC Expo. Oh. Um, and uh, I, and uh, it was it was a funny thing, you know. I, 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 was, I had just turned 21, so it was my first time in Vegas, and um, we competed, me and my friend, in the... Uh, UFC Expo, we, we, there was um, Grappler's Quest. We competed in grappling. It was like the coolest thing, you know. Yeah. We went to the Expo, and there was like lots of these fighters who were there. We could take photos with them, and uh, uh, everyone was really cool. And then there was, um, oh my God, what's his name? Um, uh, Ken Shamrock. Yeah, uh, was uh, like this, like you know, he was like UFC uh, three or something. He 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 was fighting, Legend, and. Yeah. and um, that's that was one of those typical guys who were like at that time in the beginning of the UFC he was the man you know he was the champion and everyone was looking up to him and there was this big rivalry between him and Tito Ortiz and yeah. uh, but you know rewind like uh, fast forward the tape a couple of years and uh, not that many people know him you know and, and it was so sad because I remember seeing uh, Ken Shamrock and I was like Ken Shamrock let's take a photo together and uh he was like oh it's uh it's the uh, 20 dollars for a photo <laughs> like god damn it man like has yeah. it really gone that far you know it's it's so sad you know <laughs> yeah yeah that's it, it's unfortunate especially for those uh early legends because uh, yeah you know an athlete of that caliber in any other sport like you know soccer or, or basketball or football yeah. they'd be like retired and and uh having a really good time like pretty early but yeah, it, it uh, it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate that that happens. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. 
That's really cool. We're going <laughs> yeah. to the UFC Expo uh, this year, actually, as a team. Because, oh, yeah, uh, yeah we, we're, we happen to be in Las Vegas at the time. And uh, yeah. it, it almost seems like something uh, like that. Uh, that's just a good opportunity to kind of like, you know, who knows who we'll see when we're there. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's fun. I mean, it's it's really cool to see. I remember when I, w- I was walking through the halls, and there was Junior Dos Santos. He was like <laughs> randomly walking through the hall, and I was like, oh, let's take a photo. He was, he was, no, he wasn't the champion at the time because he was uh, uh, Frank Mir and uh, Lesnar who fought the second time for the belt. It's year right. two hundred, but he was like the up and comer at that time. Right? It's fu- funny, you know, you see these people that you only see on TV and. Uh, walking around like normal people is yeah. uh, it's very cool to, to go there yeah we, yeah, we had that with uh with a recent event that we went to like we were in uh we were just in the lobby of uh the mgm and uh we saw tony ferguson just walking and nobody, uh, nobody really? was going up to him and, and we're like <laughs> we just like ran up to him and then uh after that a queue started up behind us and we're just we felt bad but yeah. we're like tony's such a legend like we have to say hi yeah yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely all right, Sandra. Last uh, question for you before we round off uh, today. Like, where, where do you see Verdict MMA in three years' time? Yeah, I, I see us uh, kind of being the perfect blend of product and community. Our strength is really being able to target a specific niche, a specific community, and we really want to double down on that. And so, in three years, uh, it'd be great to see Verdict being synonymous with MMA. If you watch MMA, yeah. you definitely use Verdict. It's, that's what that's what yeah. we want to see. That's a cool vision, though. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Sade, thank you so much. Uh, it's been uh, uh, fun geeking out with you here uh, today on the, on the MMA side of things uh, and to learn more about the product and, and um, uh, where you guys are heading. So it's been great to get to know you here over the last uh, couple of weeks. And thanks for sharing this hour with me today. And I wish you all the best. Likewise, Pierre. Thank you so much. Cheers.